morning. My name is Johnny, if I've met you, one of our pastors here at church. New year, new possibilities, and a new teaching theme for, for us here at Pennant Hills. We are coming up to halfway through our five-year plan for our church that we set back in 2016. And if you were around then, you'd remember we said uh, part of what we wanted to do was every year we wanted to pick one aspect of healthy discipleship, what it means for us to be following Jesus. We wanted to pick one thing each year and really focus on uh, growing in that as a church. And so for a whole year, we'd let whatever theme we pick be the, um, the focus, the, the thing around which we base our talk series on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings. Uh, we'd write some small group materials we just find ways to feed that part of our thought life as a church community. Um, the first one we did was a couple of years back. Uh, Henry, if you'd like to go back a slide, this might be um, throwing back some memories for you. 2016, we started with this theme up there, Exiles Fit for Mission, um, what it means to see yourself as aliens and strangers in the world, but with a purpose, uh, with a home, albeit on the other side of glory. And I trust that uh, you, like I did, found that to be a really helpful way to frame how I thought about uh, myself and, and what I was doing uh, from, from day to day. In 2017, which has just passed, our theme, if you didn't know, was to hear, believe and obey. We were fairly unapologetic in hammering that phrase uh, again and again in our sermon series in different places, hear, believe, obey God's word, as we uh, spent the year working through uh, the Gospel of John and coming to grips with what it meant for people, what it means for us to be relating to God's Word and the man Jesus Christ. Enter 2018. And the theme for the year, which was put forward by the Elders team and which was adopted at the membership uh, business meeting that we had last, uh, last quarter, drumroll please, walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. Now, the volunteer team of designers and graphics people haven't been asked to do a fancy PowerPoint splash for that yet, but that's in the works. Uh, watch this space. The plan is to do a formal launch of our 2018 goals, uh, including this church theme, Walk Humbly with Your God, uh, in a service later in January or early February, once people are back from summer holidays and once uh, our regular programs resume. But the idea behind uh, the theme is to encourage us to take a position of humility, uh, to work really hard at that, which is absolutely appropriate for us who, who follow Jesus, who have a relationship with God the Father. Uh, humility is absolutely appropriate, but it's also all too easy to forget. And we get ourselves in trouble, don't we? All too easily, because we're proud and we're, we're selfishly proud creatures uh, too much of the time and for all the wrong reasons. And uh, we thought it might do us a lot of good to address that tendency in us as we sit under God's word and pray for transformation. So uh, the new theme, the, the, the phrase, walk humbly with your God, is taken from um, the prophet Micah. It's adapted from that Old Testament prophet, a verse in there. And so you can expect a sermon series uh, to come uh, in Micah and possibly a set of small group studies to, to, to accompany it, which are yet to be written. But I thought in the weeks leading up to the official February launch, I'd first take us to Philippians to look at the idea of uh, walking humbly with our God and what the Apostle Paul has to say to us. 
Philippians 2 was the reading that was brought to us by Auntie Yin Wan, uh, and it's going to be the text for my talk this morning. Would you pray with me now that God would use this text to begin to speak to us even this year in addressing our proud hearts? Let's, let's pray. Father, please, uh, we'd ask you give, give us some joy this morning in continuing to hear and believe and obey your word. Help us to recognise the truth and the authority of your word as we hear it. And this year, would you melt away our sinful pride and instead teach us to walk in a way that would honour you, in a way that would be good for us, and good for those around us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it probably would have made sense to start at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, if we were looking at this book thoroughly. The time is short, January is full with uh, Evangelism Sunday coming up next week and then a special Pen Life Sunday and then we do our proper launch 2018 at February, which only leaves me with a couple of weeks. So I thought I'd cut to the chase, I'll skip the introduction and the first chapter and start off in the middle of the action in Philippians almost chapter 2. But let me bring you up to speed with uh, the story so far. There's a little bit of context that might ground what Paul is writing here. The pioneer missionary and influential Christian leader of the early church, the Apostle Paul, is in prison locked up because of his active sharing of his faith in private and also in public on a massive scale. Locked up because that message and this messenger was considered undesirable and potentially dangerous to the powers of that be of the day. But not before he's planted significant churches all around the Mediterranean and off towards Europe. And so even behind bars the Apostle Paul writes letters to his Christian friends, these churches that have sprung into being because of the good news about Jesus that he's been sharing. These churches that he's planted, these Christians that have become Christians, are kind of like his spiritual children. Uh, that's not quite right. I mean, technically they're God's children, spiritually God's children. They're more accurately probably um, Paul's, the fruit of his work that he's been doing over the last few years. But Paul is in prison. He's not able to see these people every week. He doesn't know he's ever actually going to get out of prison at this point. He doesn't know whether he's going to die in prison or whether he's going to be executed or if he's ever going to be released. Which brings us to the beginning of our text, Philippians 1.27. Uh, because he doesn't know if he's ever going to get out of prison or whether he'll be executed, he writes, verse 27, Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, uh, worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Uh, there is in those verses you see apparently a way to live that is worthy of of what God has done for you in saving you. Paul writes, whatever happens, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. And the people Paul's writing to, maybe you this morning reading this, uh, they're not babies anymore, spiritually speaking. They weren't born yesterday. They've been Christians for a little bit of time at least. And no one likes being treated like a baby when they're not a baby. The same goes for your spiritual life. These Christians 
maybe you this morning, uh, you've heard that Jesus has died for your sin. And the moment that these people accepted that, just like the moment you might have accepted that, you start life as a, as a spiritual newborn, new life. But babies grow, or at least they're supposed to. There's nothing wrong if a baby doesn't grow. So Paul's not relaying the foundations here. He's shared the gospel with them, they've accepted it. And he's teaching them this, in this letter that apparently there's a way to conduct yourself, there's a way of life that is worthy of this good news in Jesus which has been already planted in them. There's a couple of ways that that's expressed. One is in unity with other Christians and the other is a fearlessness in the face of opposition. Come look at verse, the rest of 27. Uh, Paul writes, Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. The church at the time seemed to be going through a period of external pressure. People in prison, Paul himself, got caught up in that. And it seems like their culture at the time was beginning to react in opposition to what these Christians have come to believe in. But before he talks about dealing with external pressure... What Paul really focuses on here, this thing that he repeats again and again in different ways across our whole reading today, is this way of living that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Not so much thinking about how to withstand, how to present your face to the outside world, but he starts more internally. He says, in your relationships with each other, in your, in your church, in how you, how you do that church life with other Christian people, he says it time and time again in different ways, but... Basically, he says, be humble. And let that humility be expressed in unity. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. So he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common, uh, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, basically, if you call yourself a Christian, then verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Are those other Christians that you know? Paul is saying, be united to them. That last verse, verse 4, I think, says it very clearly. Don't just look out for yourself and your interests, but look out for other Christians and and their interests. Sounds nice, doesn't it? It's almost time for a big group hug, but seriously, why on earth would we want to do that? Why would I want to look out for you when it'd be so much easier if I spent my life looking out for me and you spend your life looking out for you and maybe our immediate families if we happen to get along with them? Do I really want to look out for your interests if it's going to cost 
my interests being met. Here's where the living worthy comes in. It's what growing up as a Christian, it's what growing up as a human being seems to mean. The shocking realisation that life and ultimate reality is not just about me. That I, believe it or not, am not the centre of the universe. And neither are you. Now, I'm not even talking about being nice to people because of an enlightened form of self-interest. Enlightened self-interest is a form of selfishness that some of us discover where you realise that if I want life for me to go well, I actually need to work towards ensuring that life for our whole tribe goes well. Because we can't go it alone. But the main driver is still selfishness and self-preservation because at the end of the day, I'm looking out for number one. And you're all just tools to that end. No, Paul writes about something totally different. He, he writes about being united and looking out for each other's interests out of a totally different motivation, a different narrative, a different story, where it's not just you that Jesus has died for and saved, but there's an awareness of all these other people that Jesus has died for and saved, and he wants us, all of us, to be one, united because... He brings us together. He gives us, all of us, His one spirit. And in that story, it can't just be about me anymore and it's not just about you. It's about us together in Christ. And that's why what's good for you matters to me and what's good for me should matter to you. We should start acting like we're one because we are one. He's made us one. There's more. There's, there's the example of Jesus, if you keep reading. Uh, if you think anyone in the universe could expect that life might be all about them, it'd be God, right? The one who really made everything, who, who rules everything. He really is the centre of the universe. But look at, how, look at what Jesus shows us. There's one who is God, chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, Paul writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is what the one who is at the centre of the universe does. Let's keep reading. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even Jesus... God in flesh, whose coming and incarnation we sung about in Christmas carols just a couple of weeks ago. This one who defines what life is about shows us it's not about looking out for yourself. God looked out for the interests of you and me. He who is the ground of all being, the one who, who made us and sustains us, who we are for, he is the one who we follow as Christian people. He's the one the Father commends and glorifies because he, what's, he, what's it say? He humbles himself. 
He humbles himself and gives himself to serve others. And being like him is what living worthy is all about. Because like Jesus, being like him in his humility and service is what Christian discipleship means. I used to be um, quite confused about verse 12. If you look at verse 12, it says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according, uh, in order to fulfill his good purpose. And you see that when he says, work out your salvation, for ages, I seriously thought what Paul was saying was, figure out your salvation. Uh, work it out, because God's doing this mysterious thing in you that you've got to try to understand. And maybe I can blame it on the fact that, like a lot of migrant kids, I learned to speak English on the playground, and the phrase, to work something out, it was only ever, that was the only way it was ever used. But I was wrong. What it's actually saying is, work outwards this salvation that God has done in you. Not figure it out, but let it play out, which fits so much better with what the rest of the verses before and after are saying. God has done something in you. He's saved you in this peculiar and very particular way in Jesus. So I think what Paul is saying is let that work its way through everything that you do and everything that you are. That's what it's meant to do. It's God's purpose and intent. So the practice of Christian spirituality isn't just some solo abstract thing that's between uh, me and God that I can do on a, a lonely mountain somewhere, sitting cross-legged in, in a yoga pose. Now, Christian spirituality spills over into our relationships. And so how I treat you is just as much an expression of my worship of God as when I'm singing a hymn or reflecting on a passage in the Bible or feeling grateful to God and, and saying that to Him in prayer. Me being humble, me valuing you and your interests above mine, practicing unity, that was what an imprisoned Paul was so desperately concerned his church would be like to each other. Because that's what reflects Jesus. And that's how to live worthy. So I know this morning is more of just an introduction to the theme which we're going to explore this year, but let me suggest some things for what this might begin to look like for, for you. You think about it and maybe commit to something that you're going to work on. When it comes to humility, maybe this is for you. Maybe you need to say, uh, you know what, I'm going to change the way that I treat my parents because life is not just about me. I'm going to look out for their interests. How about this? I'm going to try to get to know people at my church. I mean, really get to know them. Because how can I look out for their interests if I don't even know what their interests are and anything significant about them? And you might start that today, which would be a good thing to do. Well, how about, I'm going to let go of my pride and I'm going to forgive someone. Really forgive really try to work things out and reconcile and rebuild relationship because we're both Christian and we're meant to be one. Well, how about this one? 
I'm going to suspend whatever status and esteem I deserve and I'm going to put myself in a position to serve someone who needs it, even if it's going to put me out or even if it's something which others might think is beneath me. Or it might be something else. You think about it. Maybe the Spirit of God has been tugging on your conscience about something for a while now, regarding humility, requiring you to bend your pride and to walk humbly with God. Would you listen? And you know what? If you do, you will stand out in the most incredible way in this world. There's nothing like it. If we stand together as one, united, and swap our pride for humility and genuinely look out for each other's interests, it will be amazing because we'll be like Jesus. Look at how Paul finishes up this section of his letter. Chapter 2, verse 14. He writes, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine out amongst them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. May that be us. Children of God, without fault in this generation, in which we shine like stars as we hold onto and as we hold out the word of life. May we live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Like that.